Did you miss us? Because we missed you. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode five of the Sports Advocate. I am Man City News Advocate and Benzie County Record Patriot Sports Reporter Mitch Fosberg. Currently flying solo for the first half of the episode, Sports Editor McLean Mulberg will join us in the back half to talk the Super Bowl and a few other things. But let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's guest. All right, joining us now in our studio, which also serves as our conference room, is Nakama Ski Coach Kurt Matthew. Kurt, happy Wednesday. Thank you for making the drive down here this early in the morning. How are we feeling today? Great. I'm ready. Great. Great to have you on. So, Leah Blackmore, Braden Sorensen, off to the state meet this year. If you can't just talk about their season and how it took for them to get here. I mean, huge accomplishments for both of them, right? Yes, very much so. Um, the region that we got thrown into this year, uh, the one up north, is super tough. And uh, state champions come out of that region every year for quite a few years. And for us to be able to go in there as a team on the boys' side and get fourth was huge. And even having problems, um, I think we had four racers go down, one DQ'd. We still pulled off a fourth. Well, then you have Braden who, who lives this. I mean, this is what he studies. Summertime, he goes to Mount Hood for training. Um, you know, and Aaliyah, she's doing this USSS uh, racing on weekends and besides doing our stuff for high school. So, you know, this is this is their life and, and it definitely shows, you know, they've, they've come a long way and they're doing awesome. Sticking with, with Leah and Brandon for a quick second. Um, I understand you know, there's a big difference between the athlete and the person. What kind of human beings are both those kids? Uh, it's funny because we, we co-op with, I think it's six schools and MHS being one of them, um, I don't really know these kids until we get them on the team. And Braden's a junior, so we've had him for, for this is the third year. But I kind of watched him in middle school. He was doing club racing, and so he'd be in the locker room and stuff. And he's funny, likes to play jokes on people. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, but as they get older, you kind of start to see the change. And here's a kid that's... Um, how do you say, getting more serious? He's growing up, you know? And that's pretty cool to see. Now, Aaliyah, I've known her dad for a number of years. I just met her, and she's local, Wanakama. And, um, you know, they only live a couple miles from us, but I really don't know them because I don't work in the school system. <laughs> and uh, so, but she is just one of the nicest, most polite. Uh, like with Braden, he's always there to help other kids on the team. You know, he's working with a lot of the other boys to get information for them and then shares it and stuff. And uh, Aaliyah just, she's so quiet and calm, goes out and does her thing and doesn't want a whole lot of attention. That's the cool part is, is they go out there, they do it, then they're done. So, so I'll be totally honest with you, Kurt. Before I moved up here for this job, I had no clue skiing was an MHSAA sport. Mm -hmm. So i got to ask you, how in the world did you get into skiing in the first place? Um, my uncle used to drive a loader for my grandpa. And when we'd have really bad blizzards, he'd come to my, my parents' house and have to plow the road to get in. And he'd take the snow and make a big, huge pile in the driveway. And then he'd make a ramp because he skied. And I think I was like six or seven. And 
my parents bought my brother and I skis and my sisters, but my brother and I stuck it out. So we'd climb up the back of that snow pile and slide down, climb up, slide down. Well, across the lake was a uh, ski area in Bear Lake called Bear Hills. And he was kind of a makeshift instructor there in the winter. And so he took us kids and taught us how to ski. And I think my first season pass at Crystal Mountain was like in 1972. And he was, my uncle started the Bear Lake ski team through the school, through MHSAA, uh, same year that Onekama started there, there, and it was Dale Miller was their coach. So, you know, Onekama was a big rivalry, but, and uh, so that's kind of how I got started, which is my uncle got us skiing. So, and then the racing part came when, you know, he, my brother joined the ski team and it was like, I'm two and a half years younger. I was too young to, but as soon as I could, could I did. And once I graduated, then I helped coach for two years after that till I got married. So, yeah. Gadget. So, how do you stumble into taking the coaching job at Onekama now? My daughter. So, um, my wife worked at Crystal Mountain when our daughter, God darn, she was probably 11, 10, 11, something like that. Mm -hmm. And my son was a couple years older, but he was really into basketball. But so, my daughter, she lived at Crystal Mountain. And when she was able to be, a manager she joined the team to be a manager I think that was in sixth grade so she was into racing by the time she hit ninth grade and Dale Miller called and said hey can you help you know doing on hill stuff gatekeeping just the parent stuff well it was evident that Dale was looking to maybe retire someday mm -hmm. and um, so he retired in 99 and we had two different coaches in three years. And then he came back for three. And he just says, I, I can't do it anymore, but I want you to take over. And uh, I said, I will, but only after my daughter graduates. Because I've, I've seen parents try to coach their kids before and it doesn't always work so good. <laughs> Sometimes it works great. And I thought, I love my daughter too much. <laughs> so, and uh, as, soon as, he or as soon as he retired, my daughter graduated. Um, her and I actually took it over. She helped me for, I don't know, three, four years till she got married and started having kids. So, yeah, so it was it was Dale Miller's fault. So. <sighs> well, I thought you mentioned it's somebody's fault that you're coaching. Yeah, you. Just, you know. Well, it's, it's, been a, it's been wonderful. Um, it makes winter go really fast because skiing, as all coaches know, it never ends all year long. So our season starts in June um, with planning the end roll training trip to Colorado and it's constant until well after state then we have about a month of wrap, wrapping things up so we get about a month or two months off and then it starts all over again so for me as a sports reporter I understand football like well, I understand football like the back of my hand mm -hmm. I know basketball I know baseball I understand track I know wrestling I don't know skiing to save my life though I, I went one time as eighth grader my legs kind of did a Oh, yeah. oh, one eighth split thing. I'm like, not going to do this again. So, exactly how does the sport of downhill skiing work? Like, how does it score? Like, how does it work exactly? Um, fastest score is one point, low, low score wins. So, um, like this year, um, I know Braden had a goal. We do this thing called World Cup points, mm -hmm. and a perfect season is a thousand points. So, in that scoring, you want the highest. And he got 900. 
unfortunately he had he had one bad race and so that put him at 900 points we've had racers do a thousand before and it's been awesome but when we do our conference races fastest racer down the hill gets one point second fastest gets two and so you take the four fastest kids on your team boys and then four fastest girls and you score them and they're scored individually and uh, we have a boys winner and a girls winner so that's how you end up getting the team score is four fastest so when we have conference races everybody races um, when we go to uh, in invitationals it's we are allowed six racers per slalom and six racers per giant slalom so they can be different kids but Typically, your fastest slalom racers are also your fastest giant slalom racers. So I always take the four fastest, they're in both events, and then I try to mix up the other two. So What exactly are the slalom events and the giant slalom yep. events? Um, slalom, the gates are like 10 to 12 meters apart. So like at Crystal Mountain, you can get 20 to 24 gates on a hill and a run. Um, we just came back from Nubs at Regionals, and I think they had 42. So their courses are twice as long as ours. Um, and then giant slalom, they're 22 to 26 meters apart. And so you have a lot less gauge. So you're going faster, but the offset is more, meaning you're going across the hill and uh, trying, to, trying to keep them at a little bit slower speed mm -hmm. than just going straight down. And uh, a lot of the new kids like giant slalom because it's less technical. But once the kids start getting it and understanding using their edges and stuff, you'd be surprised how many prefer slalom. Because you, uh, you can really win good at, at slalom because not many kids are good at it. And in Braden, I mean, our whole boys team is just smashing the slalom. They're doing really good at it. So I'm real proud of them for that. So outside of just the times, how else do you measure success as a coach for these kids? Um, not being juvenile delinquents, <laughs> you know, um, just most of my kids are just nice kids, you know, and I say, I got a bunch of really good kids that just happen to really ski fast. And, and that's the way I look at it is, are you keeping up on your grades? Are you kind of polite? You know, a lot of our kids, um, They've, they've got extracurricular stuff that's revolved around their church and stuff. It, don't come to practice. You, that's more important. That's life. You know, this is just something, a little blip during it. And I hope you do good. But my goal isn't to win races. It's more to shape the kid. Um, I don't know. It's even when we do this Colorado trip thing. This year we had a boy that had never flown before. So this was, this was cool. He'd been out west, but camping with his parents. So he's the kid that's got to get us through the airport. He's the kid going in there and helping me get the rental car. He's the one reading the map to get us to the resort. We all know how to get there. We've been there before, but he hasn't. So that's his thing. That's what I'm after is when we're all done, I want these kids to be able to go to any ski area and go skiing and have a good time and not be intimidated and scared. So the racing, yeah, it's awesome. I, I'm happy for those kids. But it's also a little bit bigger than that, in my opinion. So, All right. Well, now we get to get, now I have to get on to the one question that's highly controversial, but i got to ask everybody this, Kurt. You, you are no exception. Whew. Does pineapple belong on pizza? 
pineapple yes. on the pizza. Yes. That is the best. Thank you. Pineapple and ham, maybe sprinkled with a little bacon. Maybe. Little chunks of bacon. Thank you. When I was up, I was at CMU doing this sort of thing. Like I talked to so many athletes who like despise pineapple on pizza. And I'm always curious of people's take because you know it's a fruit, but also like tomatoes. Tomatoes are technically a fruit, so you have a fruit base right there. Yes. So it's like I've always been curious for people's take on that. Oh, that's way too complicated for me. I just like pineapple. <laughs> it's, so, it's good. Gotcha. Um, first concert. Jeez, oh Pete, sticks. Ooh, okay. You gotta realize I'm quite old. <laughs> I know, but still, still. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I am a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and they play Renegade before start every fourth quarter. So that's on every play up. That's up every no workout playlist. Every jackup song I need. Like <laughs> I play Renegade, and like you know, once that last like semi-chorus hits, like oh, I'm I uh, I'm so ready to leave a me-sized hole through some walls. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> How about even older than that and going back to like light up and those light up everybody See renegade was top 40s. Yeah, you know, and I, we were sticks before that That was when they were uh, lesser known gotcha. <laughs> so, Yeah, my brother was really into music and he's older. So whatever he listened to I had to <laughs> Gotcha. Um, go to comfort food Vanilla lattes <laughs> One a day. <laughs> one a day. Well, I try to hold back, but sometimes it's one a day. <laughs> Easy enough. If money were no object, what would be the one place you want to travel to? Um, boy, that's hard. Um, my wife and I have been very blessed to be able to travel a lot of places and enjoy it. And uh, we love diving in. In the Caribbean, we love going to the mountains. Um, well, Alaska. All right. So, and hopefully, if all our plans work out, it'll be a year and a half, and we'll be there. So, that's in our planning stages right now. Right on, right on. Last thing I want to talk to you about, because I know McLean dropped this nugget on me yesterday. If I remember correctly, your dad used to work for the News Advocate, correct? Yes. What did he do here? <laughs> It's funny, he just passed away uh, just over a year ago, and we had a little family meeting afterwards. And um, and I brought that up, that I remember, it was before I was in school even, so I had to be like four. My mom brought me down here to, I don't know, either pick dad up for lunch, or you know pick him up from work, or whatever. And I remember walking down the steps, and there were old rickety wooden steps into a basement, and there was lights hanging, kind of like from extension cords almost. And I brought that up and my sister goes, I had totally forgot. So I guess my memory was at least kind of close to that. And she said that he worked in advertising, either worked in advertising first and then went downstairs into the printing or it was the other way around it. She, he was in printing and then went into advertising. Because one paid a few cents more an hour than the other did. Yeah. So he was, hey, there was four of us. He had to feed us all. So, but yeah, he was in advertising for a while. And he was also downstairs in like printing of some sort. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing the paper rollers going and stuff. But, oh, wow. Yeah, that was a long time ago, man. <laughs> yeah, paper rollers in this building, that's... 
Took down for a couple of years, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah, it was down some old rickety wooden steps and uh, wooden handrail. I remember that and stuff. But and at his funeral, there was a fellow that came up to us that actually worked here with him, and I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, so he was here. This world is so small yet so big. I love it so much. I, I totally agree. I love it. Well, well, Kurt, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Very welcome. I enjoyed it. All right. So big thanks to Mr. Kurt Merrick for coming on and talking. So I'm back on my ski team with us. I had a fun little talk with them once we stopped recording. And man, fun guy to talk to off the record. My goodness. But joining me now over the Manistee News Advocate Satellite, a.k.a. Zoom, it's Mr. McLean Moberg, our sports editor. McLean, how are we doing this wonderful Wednesday? Good, man. Good, man. I'm, I'm ready to be back in the office, uh, come here next week and, and get things rolling. But uh, until then, you know, just trying to do things from home as uh, best I can. You know how it is. Yeah, I got you. So, 38-35 final score, Chiefs, Eagles. Man, what a game. It is the best Super Bowl probably maybe I've ever seen maybe that I can ever remember I think the only thing that comes close is as a kid you know the excitement of uh even as a kid you know I wasn't a Patriots fan so just the excitement that went into the New York football Giants unseating the undefeated you know Brady's Patriots and stuff like that that's probably the closest feeling I had to it watching it um but it's just a shame that you know at the end there things had to go uh, a particular way with the referees. I know some people are upset about that call. To me, what it is 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 you're one of two people, in my opinion. You know, was that holding? Technically, yeah. But do you call that Paul at, in that situation, I guess, you know? Because you're either the guy that says it doesn't matter if it's the first quarter or if there's 30 seconds left in the game. If there's a flag to be thrown, you throw the flag, right? Or you're the guy that says situationally is there something that I could let go and I think that was maybe something you could let go but is what it is it happens yeah for those who keep complaining about that holding call in the fourth quarter I want to use swear words but I won't because we're a family-friendly podcast look Bradbury admit James Bradbury corner for Philadelphia committed holding admitted yeah I held him even guys from Philadelphia's roster said, hey, we should have played better. There's so many other moments in that game that could have gone the other way. And they're right. I mean, we talked about how great was Philly's pass rush going to this game. They broke the 85 Bears record for season sacks. Yep. And they did what against Kansas City's offensive line with all the depth and all the talent? I know. Big-ass goose egg. Big old goose egg. The running, rushing attack at 115 yards. But the combination of Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott, and Miles Sanders had 17 carries, 45 yards. Can't you know, be can't be a good team on one call, of course. But it, 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 it just people naturally get upset, you know. I think Mitch when when the conspiracy theorists want to come out of the woodwork and say, you know, the NFL wants to elevate the Kansas City Chiefs into the next dynasty. <laughs> Uh, you know, and so let's just hand, you know, Patrick Mahomes the reins to the Super Bowl here on that call. And I, I guess you're a, either a person that believes that certain guys get calls or, or don't get calls. And I mean, I am a believer that certain guys get calls and certain teams get calls. And um, But you got to find a way to rise above that because I'm also an opinion of that. You know, like when the when the Lions blew that playoff game, for instance, against the Dallas Cowboys years ago, which 
people are probably still hurting over. What people fail to remember is that with two and a half minutes left, Matt Stafford still did get the ball back, and they didn't score. And so does that call really, I guess, hurt you in the way that you think it does? The guy did have a chance. Here, though, Jalen Hurts doesn't get a chance, and I think that's what people are upset about, that the Chiefs were going to score right there anyways, and uh, who knows? Who knows? For those who want to say one play changed the game, go back to the second quarter. Philly's up 14-7 and driving. Hurts fumbles, scoop and score back the other way. If that function doesn't happen, it's 21-7 Philly, 14-point lead momentum going all your way. That game's different. But instead, it's a 14-14 tie. Mahomes walks in with a manageable 10-point deficit. And Philly musters only one touchdown in the second half. The Eagles should have won that game, but they didn't. And that's just the way it is. Exactly. Yeah, and I picked the Chiefs, so I'm not upset about it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a great game. And, no, one call does not change the game. You know, shout-out Michigan fans who are still complaining about Aiden Hutchinson's uh, phantom touchdown. Um, but, uh, but you know, one call doesn't change the game. It's just the truth. But it can, it can certainly help one team or another at a particularly critical moment. Yeah, big question I want to ask, though. What happens to Philadelphia from here? Because both of their coordinators are gone to Indy and Arizona. A lot of the death pieces he had with the D-line, the guys, guys like Adamican Sue, Linville Joseph, Robert Quinn, probably not coming back. Fletcher Cox is a big threat question mark with the cap space. You know, the O-line's kind of beat up. Who knows if Jason Kelsey comes back another year. Who knows what, how bad Lane Johnson is hurt, how bad the surgery's going to have to be, whether he wants to come back or not. I mean... What do you do now at running back? I mean, just where do you think Philadelphia goes from here? Yeah, I, I think anybody that's kind of looked into it can realize that maybe Philly's cap is an interesting situation with certain guys that maybe are coming back and expiring deals and certain guys that want to get paid. I, if I remember correctly, I do believe that guys like Kelsey and, and Fletcher Cox are up for contracts, uh, and those guys are going to want to get paid, even though they are a little bit later into their careers and whatnot, and they're also superstars for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and so, you know, we'll have to see what they do there. But I would like to kind of sit back and see what the draft looks like, see what the offseason looks like for the Philadelphia Eagles, and then kind of make my final verdict. But when you feel like a team is maybe going to get gutted and there's some contract issues, are they going to be back in the Super Bowl next year? I mean, who knows? Nobody thought that the Bengals were going to get close again after a year that they did. People kind of wrote them off, said it was a Cinderella story. Then they had a rough start to the season, and people were like, see, that was just a magical run. And then they were right there in the AFC Championship game. So really, you don't know. I mean, the Eagles could be back, but it's going to be a tougher challenge than I think it was this year. So for me, I took a look at that schedule back in like week three, week four, what they had. It's like, they're going to cakewalk their way at least the NFC title game. And they kind of did, and then... I mean, look, let's just, let's just be honest here. If Brock Purdy doesn't, doesn't have his UCL stab with too many pieces in the first series, I mean, that game probably goes differently. But, you know, Philadelphia got mushed in the mouth the first time all year since probably that Washington game that was really, really weird. Um, but if I'm Philadelphia and look at what I have, with that New Orleans first-round pick, it's my hot take for the week, you got to consider B. John Robinson out of Texas at 10. I mean, I get it. It's a running back. You don't want to spend that kind of draft capital of running back in this modern day and age. But when you look at this draft class and you look at what Philadelphia needs and has needed since LeSean McCoy went to Buffalo, 
Bijan Robinson is one of those, probably the best running back prospect to come out since Saquon Barkley. And I think a guy, no. and also too, when you look at this draft class, if you look at the offensive pieces outside of quarterback, who is that first guy, the best down off the board? I think it's a strong case. It's either Bijan Robinson, Peter Skaronsky, or Michael Mayer, Tyann Allen, or Dane. There's not a wide on this class, I think, is worthy of a top 10 pick. I think B. John Robinson is a guy that is probably going to be that first offensive skill player off the board. So, you know, if I'm Philly and I could throw out Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, and B. John Robinson, I'm pretty happy on offense at least and then see what you can do on defense. Well, Philadelphia does love their running backs, so I, you know, I will say that uh, clearly they run three of them somehow, it's, which is not easy to do as an offensive coordinator or head coach to figure out how to game plan three guys. Uh, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they take him or another running back and whatnot and how they feel like they need to reload this team and, and where they're going to go. Yeah, I would like to say, Mitch, you know, late in that game, obviously, you, you look at it and it's a close game, it's a tie game, and you have Kansas City driving on that last drive and whatnot. And uh, I, I just think our analysis, you know, uh, last week sort of kicked in there. Yeah, I felt that the experience of an Andy Reid, of a Patrick Mahomes, of a couple of guys that had been there before and had won it before and also lost it before um would would come and, and rise above the philadelphia eagles and and, it, and in that final two minutes i mean it, it felt like that experience took over it, it felt like that skill set took over and, and patrick mahomes i mean in my opinion he cements himself as a, as a first battle hall of famer with the super bowl and um you know his career is only going to continue to go up from here yeah we can't say he got the ball up in that last drive but i think Gray both knew it was game over we knew it was over like cool philadelphia tied up but you give Mahomes four and a half minutes to march down to at least get three and eat some clock when they couldn't cover Travis Kelsey and then Juju Smith-Schuster gets open and then Isaiah Pacheco is like moving a million miles now we're in the hole and breaking through so how about Isaiah Pacheco shout out to Isaiah Pacheco from Rutgers I believe uh, and just a a really tough hard nosed football player you know he was a late round draft pick if I'm not mistaken Mitch I believe he was really really late. And for him to have the performance that he did, I, I just it is incredible. And, and I do believe he was a Rutgers football player. I remember him playing against Michigan State a couple of times. But, yeah, just shout-out to him. He was a real-A draft pick, and that's always fun to see a guy have success. Absolutely. So let's break it down to one last thing. I'll go first this week. Uh, the prospect I want to talk about today is a kid out of Iowa. His name is Lucas Van Ness. Six foot five, two hundred sixty-nine edge player. Now, the fun thing about this kid, he never started a game for Iowa, but he's projected to be a first-round talent. So, what does he do well? Well, for a guy who's 6'5", 269, strong, physical, hands and feet move consistently between whistle and whistle, I mean, you can put him potentially on the edge as a six-tack, or maybe as a three-tack, if you beef him up a little bit. I love to see him get to about 280 pounds. Um, to me, that's a guy who could be like an Aaron Catman or Aaron Smith type, like it was for Green Bay or Pittsburgh back in the day. Um, I think he might need a little time to really get to that Pro Bowl ceiling, but hey, TJ Watt didn't go pop off till year three. A lot of guys don't pop off till year three. So, yeah, keep your eyes up on Lucas Van Ness. That's a guy that's probably going to be a first-round pick. Uh, outside of Will Anderson Jr. and Jalen Carter, I mean, that could be a guy who could be pretty high up for uh, 
edge rushers are defensive line presence. So keep your eyes on Lucas Van Ness. Mr. Mobert, give me the floor. Yeah, you know, Mitch, I was happy to, to hear you go first this week because um, I don't have a sports take. Um, it's going to be a bit of a serious one last thing. And, you know, I hope people stick around for this part of the episode because um, I do think it needs to be said. And I've, I've been jumbling this around in my brain for the past two days uh, and, you know, thinking about should I write a column. And I felt, you know, I'm just going to go on the podcast and talk about it for a couple of minutes. But, you know, the Michigan State school shooting, you know, a place where I went to school, you know, a place where I grew up. You know, I grew up uh, 30 minutes out of town in a, a small place called Wacusta, which is not a real place because it's a Grand Ledge address. Um, but they, they call themselves Wacusta. It's a very, very small town. It's about a 25-minute drive from, from there to Spartan Stadium, a, a drive I've made, you know, countless times with my dad. And, uh, you know, to even try to remember the first time I stepped foot on campus would, would probably not be able to do it justice without talking to him because I've been there so often and, and as a toddler and, to have somebody, you know, come into a place where, you know, you, you have called home and, you know, you, you've lived even. Your, your daughter was born in that area. You know, my, my daughter Blair, my wife was pregnant during the pandemic while we lived in the heart of East Lansing. It's, it's just devastating. It, it was an absolute tragedy and, and those three kids that, you know, lost their lives. They were kids. They, they couldn't even go to the bar and order a beer, Mitch. They were 20 years old. They were 19 years old, and and they were just getting their life started. And it's just devastating. And you know, hopefully something changes. And I, I read a stat, and I have no idea if it's true, so don't hold me to it. But you know, I was kind of scrolling through, and and they said an alarming number that that already through um, February 15th, there's been 50 plus mass shootings in the United States in 2023, and uh, that's just. I don't know when it's going to stop. I don't know what it's going to take. I, I know there are a lot of differing arguments, and I'm not here to get into that. I'm just here to talk about, you know, those victims' families and, and everything that they're probably going through right now. And, and, and every student on that campus, uh, including, uh, you know, probably a few local to here, as we know. Uh, you know, we wrote a story on a local student as well here, you know, that experienced that uh, situation. And it's just devastating for all parties involved. I hope the community can find a way to come together. And I hope the country can find a way to, to rise above this and, and figure out a way to put an end to this. You know, why we are the only country that seems to have this happen constantly and, and seems to turn the other cheek is, I, I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. You know, my daughter's got to go to school one day, and I don't really know what is going to happen with that. Elementary schools aren't even safe. I mean, I, I can't even put it into words. But, yeah, you know, parents out there, go home, hug your children, kiss your children, tell them you love them. And uh, I guess you, you have to have tough conversations with them because this is the reality of the world, and that is is a very difficult situation that I don't even want to really think about right now because it's, it's a few years away, but... It's one that I'm going to have to have with my daughter, and it's a really, really devastating reality. So that's where I'm going to leave us today. I think it's probably a good time to leave it here. Um, so to wrap this up, this is uh, episode five of Sports Advocates. Until uh, next time, folks, keep your stick in the ice.